Hey everybody, welcome to Church is Now Online. I'm Dan Jacobson with Scott Irwin. Hey. Kristen Jacobson. Hey. And Daniel Asher. Hey. Hey. Oh hey. man. <laughs> I try and make it as exciting as possible, you guys, but it's just so difficult to introduce ourselves time and time and time again. That's why um, the office does cold opens. You know. This is true. I'm telling you, we should do a cold open. All right, let's, uh, let's retake this back. Before we began, would have been a perfect cold open. All right, I'll put somebody's stapler in Jello. There you perfect. Go. Is that gonna nice. is that gonna translate to oh, you're an right. audio audience? You're right. I'll jiggle my, the Jello. My favorite <laughs> office cold open was when Dwight starts the fire and everybody is oh freaking out gosh. to try and get out. They banned it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. The, the, the cat falls out of the ceiling. Falls out of the ceiling. They're trying to use oh, the copier man. as yeah, that's fantastic. Well, that's that has nothing to next do with time. We're gonna, we'll start a fire we, next time. There you go. It's nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we just got off of Mother's Day uh, as a, uh, I mean, as a community, as, a, as the world just had, went through Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Kristen. Uh, day. Oh, thank you. Continuing yes. the weekend. Uh, do you guys do anything uh, fun for your moms this weekend? We uh, did a family gathering on Saturday, which was really cool. It was like the first time that the family had been together, I think, since the start of quarantine. And we had hamburgers and brats. All right. Nice. Yes. All right. It was really good. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Daniel, did you do anything? I called my mom and we talked. Uh, she had to, she had to, She had to work um, all through Mother's Day, so... Um, which has actually been awesome because she's been laid off for the past two months. Um, yeah. But there's a uh, Chinese restaurant that she used to work for um, that just are doing crazy takeout orders. Huh. Um, so she's able to, to do some work through that. So that's been a humongous blessing. So, yeah, we were only able to talk for about 10 minutes before she had to leave, but it was good. It was good. Cool. I wish we could have done more. I had a super similar experience uh, with my mom. She was at work. My mom delivers babies. I don't know if I've ever talked about that. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a labor delivery nurse and I FaceTimed with her and as she's she, delivering a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she answered, she goes, she goes, you're, you're lucky. I'm not in the middle of a delivery. <laughs> I, was like, well, I, I would hope you wouldn't answer your phone in the middle. It's gotta be it. some but she was, violation. <laughs> she was scrubbed up and, uh, the kids were on the call with me and I don't know if they were like ready to see grandma. And like the mask and everything, and oh yeah, you know they didn't ask me if she has coronavirus, so I think they're I think they're spared from all that stuff. But we had a nice conversation. What, Kristen, what else you had did some you guys fun. Do? You had yeah. some fun with your mom. Yeah, my um, my mom came uh, on Sunday, and my sister, who's also a mother, came for the weekend with her kids. So we had some family time as well, and it had been at least a month since we've all been together. So um, they are in. They live in the much stricter clamped down illinois so they were marveling <laughs> at the freedom that they could experience here in indiana yeah. <laughs> uh they, but they were here for the weekend and we did what we always do which is puzzle I, puzzle this... but but we supplemented with it's usually puzzles and basketball and yes uh our brother-in-law and myself we youtubed old bulls 
championship games. Nice. <laughs> we just watched like game six of the 97 series. Yeah. Game was, six of the 90, 93 series. It was a lot of fun. It was pretty great. Kristen, this is something that I have learned about you from mm-hmm. doing this podcast. I didn't know you were such an avid puzzler. I am a very avid, avid is an puzzler. Understatement. Do you is see it? this? Do you I see this? I have for those of her who can't see, the shirt says, how does that not go there with puzzle so, pieces? That is the most um, common phrase. The phrase that my mom whispers under her breath every time we're doing a, a jigsaw great. puzzle. How does that not go there? And I, I had these t-shirts made for her and my sister and oh, nice. I for Mother's Day. And it was pretty great. We, Chris, um, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with puzzles. So maybe like two weeks ago, it was that really rainy and cold Saturday. Bethany and I uh, got up at 10 a.m. We are not puzzlers, but Jamie and Jackie Taves gave us a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And we did the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle in 10 hours. It took us 10 hours on a Saturday. We stopped for lunch. We like uh, hyperlapsed it all. And I think we're done with puzzles for at forever. Least no, five, at least fixed. five years. Five years. <laughs> oh, see, Kristen's hearing you do a ten, a, a thousand piece puzzle in ten hours, and she's like, rookie. I know. I know. <laughs> I will say, my sister and I, we timed ourselves on a thousand piecer on Friday night, and it was nerds. four and a half, four oh, and a half hours. Thank you. No, you're right. It's we are nerds. I don't care. <laughs> someone needs to say it. I have, so, I have no uh, patience yeah, happy, for a man. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day to the moms listening to the podcast, and uh, we love you all. You know, we had a big announcement this past weekend. Pastor Steve uh, started the whole scope of what it looks like for the campus to reopen and some really big news there. Um, We got a date on the calendar, barring any changes. You know, these things are so fluid that we, um, (laughs) whenever we talk about things that are over, you know, three, four weeks away, I always am like holding them loosely. <laughs> but June 7th is the first Sunday that uh, people will gather on a Sunday back at the at the Hobart Portage building. Mm-hmm. And I just thought maybe for the sake of talking about some things, uh, we got a bunch of great feedback on our Facebook page um, just about people saying that they appreciate the the caution that we're taking and, and not at the same time just stopping and not doing anything, but not doing everything. You know, it mm-hmm. seems like people are appreciative that we're um, actually taking health risks into consideration and trying to be wise and, and safe with people's lives. Um, but I thought we would just talk about what it, what it's going to look like. And we see Sunday, June 7th. That's the day, Scott. Yeah. I Well, I just wanted to say I we do um, uh, like online engagement for Sunday mornings. And Dan, you said just how gracious people have been. Every Sunday, we're prepared to engage with people who maybe disagree with the way that the church is going about it. Um, But we haven't gotten that. And people have been very thankful for church leadership. They have been very uh, respectful of the decisions that the elders have made. And um, that is such a cool testament to the Bethel Church as a congregation, as a body of Christ. And I've just been really appreciative of that in these past couple of weeks. Amen. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Great job, all you guys out there. Yeah, good Appreciate job, everybody. Um, there's a, so, so it's not ideal. We can acknowledge that, that the CDC yeah. guidelines are going to require us to um, be pretty strict on the front end of this. Ideally, we can relax these guidelines as the situation with coronavirus becomes more stable and changes substantially. But on the outset, 
you know, the, the thing that really, I think bothers me the most, and I'll say it that way, that it's a personal, um, it's a real personal challenge is that the CDC is recommending that, um, religious services are mask on events. Hmm. And they also at the same time say they don't recommend masks for kids ages two and under. Hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think the reasoning for that is, Kristen, is that like choking hazard? Is that yeah, the idea? The like a kid's yeah, not going to, yeah. A oh. child under two doesn't have the, um, the wherewithal to, to, if they're not getting enough oxygen to move huh. the mask. So right. that's the reason. So that poses a, you know, we have so many people who have had kids in the past two years. And to, to think that, the, you know, the possibility of them not being able to come to church because their kid is a, it's a sad one. And then the, on, the, on the other end of the spectrum, we have people who are dear stalwarts and, you know, models of the faith for us who are over the age of 65 or 65 and older. And that's the one that has really uh, been, been a burden for me is to know some yeah. of my dear friends um, are just going to, are, are going to be encouraged to stay home and watch on the stream and, and the in-person service is, um, not going to be an option for them right away. We had one lady asking if we're going to check IDs at the door. I love it. I love it. And since we have so many police officers at our, that go to our campus, yeah. I'm tempted just to hire all of them for the first Sunday there you and go. pretend like we are <laughs> checking IDs. Anyone that looks over the age of 40, your ID is getting checked. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> It is going to be that's a big is, challenge, isn't it? It is. And it's going to feel, I don't know. I just think of, you know, worshiping in the body of the Christ is supposed to be this, this uh, multi-generational expression of, uh, of, of, of disciples of the, the community. And I think it's going to be really hard because really what's probably going to end up happening is we're going to have a small slice of, mm-hmm. of our church family that is going to attend live. And it's just right. going to feel weird. I mean, we even, we've been moving chairs in the auditorium and just looking. Have you been, have you seen it, Dan? Yeah. It, it just looks weird. Again. It looks yep. weird. Yep. And it'd be some adjustment for sure. It looks like you told my kids to go set up the chairs in the auditorium. <laughs> and yes. They, out of spite, put chairs in different places and didn't put any aisles in and I just grouped <laughs> them together. Like it looks so haphazard, but it's Are actually incredibly special specific it's exactly you know all of our chairs are exactly six feet apart and there's different groups for different family sizes and things like that yeah it is strange to think about i mean i think pastor brad mentioned this on sunday that our our expectations have to be tempered like Mm -hmm. you're saying scott coming back and worshiping together um we want it to be what we're used to which is you know and something i love about bethel which is the multi-generational demographic that we have where we have um, young and old all coming together. And it, that's what makes our church feel like a family is that we have these different generations represented. And so it will be strange to look around and to see a more homogenous group in that regard. And, and especially at HP where we have such, so many young families. So it'll be, it'll be very strange to not, um, get to be together, all of us in the same space. Well, this is like the, uh, yes, we have so many young families and that's one of the big things that I think people notice when they come to our campus for the first time, but I don't think people realize how much we've grown in the 65 and older demographic over the past year or two. And it's significant. And so that's another, I mean, it's, it's not just, 
it's both sides, right? Yeah. And so um, there's a few families who have, you know, a couple of high school kids and, you know, they'll be coming and, and singing out loud. I hope please sing out loud. when We're you expecting come. you, Taylor. We need you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, but, but then there's a lot of, a lot of other families that are, it's just, it's going to be tougher. And so I think one of the postures that I'm choosing to embrace uh, this season with is just one of um, grace and not shame. Um, yep. Honestly, I understand that there's a lot of people who don't feel comfortable coming back to church. Right. And they've maybe, you know, they proactively reached out. I don't know if they think um, I'm going to be like calling them being like, where have you been? I can see you haven't registered for a service because a couple of people have already proactively said like, hey, our plan as a family is just to wait because we're at risk. So we don't want you to think we're not coming back, which is kind of them to communicate. But I also at the same time want to be like, dude, it's cool. Like I, I know. And I know you're going to engage with the live stream. I know you're going to choose that very safe route and that safe option. And so no shame, no, no harm, no foul. Yeah. And I, at the same time, I'm not going to be, you know, shaming people who don't show up on a Sunday, you know, in front of the other people. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> you guys are the strong ones and all those, you know, weak ones back. Home. It's not, there's none of that. There's none of that going on. And so I just am choosing to, um, you know, just take whomever the Lord can gather in that moment and be grateful, uh, in the midst of it. I think that'll be, that'll be a good thing. Oh yeah. Um, I am. I am so, I am so ready to worship. Yeah. So let's talk with, about that, man. Uh, I wanted to ask you last time we did a podcast like this, what, what is like, give us your heart for worshiping together. And then maybe what can we expect from our, our times of singing? Yeah. Well, um, Man, we we are just we are just missing what what worship is, which is the you know the peoples of the church coming together, and we felt like we've just kind of like a, a body working without a leg or working without an arm. Mm. It's just it's just not felt the same. Um, and I think we we're, I mean, we're so grateful for our team that we're even able to accomplish um, doing worship on a live stream because there are so many churches around the country that have just not not had the uh, resources to do it. Um, yeah, so there's been so much true. to be grateful for, um, but man, we, I don't care if there's five people in the, in the congregation. I mean, I do <laughs> care, but I'm saying like, I'm ready for there to be more than a couple people singing You'll take with anything. us. Yeah. I will take anything. <laughs> um, there's been, there's been a lot of, uh, so many Sundays where I've just, when we've all just kind of been like on the verge of tears, like, like, yeah. oh, man, there's, it's just, we miss it. We miss it so much. Um, so I'm, I'm very much, very much ready for that. Uh, and plus live stream is, I don't know. I think it, sh I think it should feel awkward for us. I mean, I think it, right. it, it should always feel like it's, uh, abnormal. I don't right. want to get to the place where I'm like, oh, this feels, you know, like it's I'm not, fine. <laughs> yeah, I think it should feel like this is not the norm. Um, mm -hmm. this is not what God is intending. And yep. when we get back to, uh, meeting with one another, like just how sweet it's going to be. Um, I'm, I'm very, 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 very ready for that. That's great. One of the challenges that we have had to factor in to some of our rollout plans is the fact that our volunteer base is not 100% intact right now. Some people are in stressful situations with, um, you know, some of their family members are at risk or they themselves are at risk. And so they've had to pause their involvement with the church. And we've gone back and forth between, you know, myself and some of the others on, on our staff and the question of how big are we going to go at the beginning? 
and I've just taken the stance, and Daniel, I don't know how you feel about that. We've, we've never, maybe we shouldn't have this conversation on air, but uh, <laughs> I've taken the stance that like, I don't even need electricity to run a service back of the building. I've got a loud enough voice to carry that room, <laughs> and you've got a guitar that's yeah. got a sound hole that will amplify itself. Like, are we talking like that? Are you gonna have a, a full band? Are we going back to the organ? Like, what, what's gonna happen? Well, I think I think it's a uh, it's multifaceted. So in scaling back into um, getting back into services, uh, we are trying to serve a congregation as all as all uh, and also serve some of our tech team who is uh, being expected to do a Sunday service, a Wednesday service uh, at every single campus, and we have two staff. Uh, 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 audio engineers at our, right. at our church. So, which is a lot for five campuses. <laughs> um, it is a lot to expect of them. So the way we're going to scale into it um, is we're going to start out basically just doing acoustic. We're going to keep the live stream going. Um, so my schedule is going to look like uh, leading at Crown Point uh, first service and then racing over uh, to HP um, to do a live strip down setting. Um, if you're a kinda... police officer, we could really use a <laughs> yeah. escort for Daniel for on Daniel. those Sundays. Can you just hook us up? Yeah, please? dude, I just, uh, my car just completely oh, shut man. down too. So if you want to oh, just give me, give me a shuttle, then. <laughs> yeah, could you throw him in the back? You can cuff him if you want to for the appearances. Yeah. But let him go when he gets to the campus. Yeah. Yeah, but, that, um, I don't, I don't think people understand really the complexity of what it is to be an organization like ours, a church like ours with the different venues that are going on. And what that means for you, you know, like yeah. that's a, that's a lot to carry. We're grateful for you, man, doing that. That's a, that's a huge ask. Well, like, I mean, like I mentioned before, like even, man, there, there's so many things that can convolute worship. Uh, and, and I'm excited, honestly, to just be able to sing with our people. And if that's just with acoustic, then like, that's all that, that's all that it has to be. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be anything and anything more than that. Everything else is just bells and whistles. Uh, the the meat and potatoes is is gathering with one another and and raising our voices, and just to be able to do that again is gonna be is gonna be amazing. Um, so we're we are so looking forward to it. It's gonna be, you know, uh, an experience trying to trying to figure out just the the different ways to scale into it. And if we're using just me or me and another vocalist or me and another keys player, like what's what's too many. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but one of the biggest things is just being sensible, sense sensitive to, uh, our tech team right now and what they're, what they're able to accomplish. Um, so yeah. And there, there's one opportunity that I think it presents itself in these types of gatherings. And it, I think brings us back to more of what the early church was like. Um, you know, as we come together, it's going to be a smaller congregation. And I don't know, I just, I'm excited because, uh, I, I want to encourage our people to come with stories of what God's doing in their life. Because I think when we have less people in the room and we're a little bit more unplugged, we can have a moment as pastors to just see if there's testimonies on the fly of what we can do to encourage one another. And these are things that we can't do over live stream. We can't read the room. We can't, you know, source uh, from each other's lives and each have input. And so if you're coming to our, uh, one of our campuses or you're coming to the HP campus, um, this may not happen often, but uh, be ready to share what God is doing in your heart, what God's doing in your life, because I think there might be opportunities for us to encourage one another. And that's what Hebrews says, right? We keep throwing out, you know, do not neglect meeting together. Um, but there's an encouragement side of that. There's a, there's a do not neglect to encourage one another all the more. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities ahead for us. 
Agreed. <laughs> Registration is oh, required. We're doing that? We're doing it. Yeah. Do we know how we're, we're doing it yet? Absolutely, yeah. We'll have a link that'll go out on our um, social media and our uh, main website as well as our um, e-news. And so everyone from the church is going to get informed. It's not like members get first dibs, I don't think. Um, it's just like everyone's going to have a chance. We just want you to come through um, and give people an option. Uh, you know, Come through once every three weeks, I think, is our goal right now. That way enough people yeah. have a chance to get through get through the um, the service Good. before you're coming back again. But um, we'll read that and we'll adjust it. Um, but it's just there's no way for us to actually prepare the room for social distancing if we just open it up to everyone and um yeah i do we I have a time yet on uh do we have a time yet on what the wednesday night services are going to be 6 30 on when 6 30 yeah yeah i'm so excited 10, for that. and then 6 30 they're identical actually, services yeah i'm yeah, actually pretty totally i'm pretty same. stoked on uh man the tradition i come from uh we get down on <laughs> down sunday nights and wednesday nights <laughs> yeah uh so i'm actually pretty stoked to wean on uh you know wednesday nights That'll be good. Dan, are you, uh, we're live preaching, right, at HP? We're going to, uh, yeah, the the plan, it's not set in stone yet, but we're um, we're not super excited about just opening up the building so that we can live stream <laughs> from the building. Um, there, you know, we're, our philosophy of preaching from at the church is, um, you know, we try and stay centralized with as much preaching as possible because it's healthy for us to stay one church. Um, but we also understand this time that there's not a, um, there's not a real appetite for, um, you know, it's just streaming the preaching from yeah. a different building. And, uh, and so we'll probably be a little bit more live. I think the first service for sure will be live. I'm, I've yet to see what the schedule looks like. You know, we've got so many details to work out. Um, so I would imagine we'd be, uh, more live than not, um, but I just can't say that with certainty yet. Yeah. So. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And I know, you know, four weeks out is still a long time, but hopefully we can remain on track and that, that June 7th, it'll be the first time we get back in the building together. Yeah. And Scott, are there any, uh, are there any developments in how Verge is going to continue to meet? Um, or is it just Sundays and Wednesdays for Sunday yeah. services? It, it's really hard because how the church is doing cleaning right now, uh, a, a building, a room has to be empty for 72 Three days, hours. Three right? Yeah. Yeah. And so just with the facility that we have right now, and Dan, we actually haven't really talked about this, but the... Let's just do it right now. Let's just have our so, business meeting right okay, here. So the, so the verge side of the building has to remain unused in case we have funerals or, um, you know, other events like that, uh, that would maybe have precedence over verge meeting in that room. So as of right now, there's no plans of a verge meeting back in, yeah. in the facility. And it would be really hard because it would have to be social distanced. You would have to come in one by one and leave one by one, which uh, is so opposite to the kind of culture we have developed at verge. I, I don't think it would feel very fun. So we're, we're doing some other things to try to, uh, to try to add to what we've got offered for, for verge. Yeah. Is that correct, Dan? I don't know. Those those are what I'm thinking. The church. Yeah, and I think uh, the CDC is encouraging people with facilities to just push people outside, and so yeah. uh, <clears throat> we're gonna use the summer months to our advantage and try and do gatherings yeah. um, in ways that maybe feel more life giving outside than inside. Um, so yeah, I know summer, there's a few... summer 
Summer in Northwest Indiana starts in like July. Yeah, we only got like so we it's two months. September first, and it's over. We still September got time. 2nd. It's gonna it's gonna snow tonight. So <laughs> it's gonna snow. Oh, uh, well, guys, we uh, we're excited about that. I want to transition here because we've got a really important interview with uh, Pastor Dexter Harris um, back on the um, on the podcast. This is his third time being on with us. Uh, it's kind of like we only have one guest that keeps coming back. But I love Dexter. Um, you guys are aware of the incident that came to light last week with uh, Ahmad Arbery, the 25 year old black man who was um, shot uh, down in Georgia while he was jogging. And, um, you know, it's a story that came out of February uh, of this past year, got buried by coronavirus. And just recently a video came to light that really broke this story open and caused a lot of um, outcry in the nation as well as in um, black communities and in churches. And so Dexter and I talk, we have, we have a, a really somber conversation about systemic uh, racism, uh, about uh, why it's hard for white and black churches to talk about um, these types of issues. And um, really, Dexter just dives into his own heart and mm-hmm. tells us a little bit about uh, his own experiences with situations that could have gone this way, which is just, um, you know, we it's interesting to hear where other people come from. Right. right. And so yeah. I'm really grateful for Dexter. I hope that you'll stick around. Uh, thanks for listening with us. Please give this uh, next couple of minutes, if even if it's uncomfortable for you, uh, a listen and some consideration. They're very important for us. So, yeah. uh, guys, until uh, next time, we will see you later. We'll see ya. See ya. Dexter, thanks for jumping on today and uh, talking about some very sad events that have come to light. We're talking about Ahmad Arbery's uh, killing in late February of this year. And just maybe right off the bat, we can acknowledge the fact that this is a story that largely went under the radar for so many people um, for many reasons, right? COVID uh, really took over the spotlight. But it wasn't until about a a week ago, Wednesday, that a video was released of the moment uh, uh, of the alleged altercation that perhaps these two men were in self-defense. But the video is showing very clearly something else. I've not watched the video. I'm curious, have you? Yeah, I watched it. What were some of your thoughts watching that back? Um, it was, you know, pretty painful to watch, um, to, to see a human being, um, shot with a shotgun, you know, and dropped to the ground like that is, uh, jarring. Um, a lot of emotions, you know, uh, goes through the mind, through the heart. Um, and for me, it was just like my head just dropped down. Hmm. I was just like, wow. Um, I mean, almost... I think in some sense for me too, like not knowing just how to feel um, after you've seen a repetition of these videos, it's just like, I don't even, I don't even know what to feel right now. 
when you talk about the repetition of these videos, you're really referencing the fact that this is not the first black man who has been shot uh, innocently. And while, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, minding his own business um, and being accosted on the street, um, you're thinking back along the lines of people like uh, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Laquan McDonald. Yeah, all of those uh, just, you know, unarmed black men um, just being shot and almost like with no care in the heart behind the shooter. I'm just like, and shoot somebody in the leg or something like that. But like even Laquan McDonald, like, I mean, dude just unloaded the whole clip into that young man's body. And for me, I'm just like, that's senseless, um, you know, pointless. Um, and things like that are just like horrific. And then it takes a whole nation to even get a, you know, a proper hearing on these things, uh, which is Yeah, I want to talk about a lot of things with you today. I want to talk about um, maybe some of the theology behind uh, caring for one another and taking this from a, from a um, you know, biblical standpoint, talking about things like justice and reconciliation. I want to talk about um, systemic racism with you. I want to talk about um, some of the outcry from uh, people in all corners of the country when it comes to this is really the first possibly unifying um, uh, experience like this where it didn't seem like there was hardly anyone uh, on the other side of, of the riot, if, if I could say it that way. I know there weren't people marching in the streets, but it seemed like a ton of outpouring once that video came out. Um, and then I also want to talk about, you know, we're both pastors, right? And uh, bringing it close to home. What does it look like for us to response? What should our, our re- response be? And um, how should we help our people think about things like this? So, man, I just appreciate you um, taking some time. And uh, when, when you first passed out the article to some of those pastors back, I think it was Wednesday, um, you know, I had actually heard about this case, but it was a blip in the radar and nothing ever came of it. And it kind of just disappeared until you, you brought this back up last week. And um, walk me through some of your initial uh, reactions and maybe, um, you know, there wasn't a, a, a ton of information until the video came out. And then um, you talked about even having uh, reactions to these types of videos. Was it a here we go again type of moment for you? Yeah, that was definitely my initial reaction. It was just like, mm, they've done it again. Um, and, you know, just anger, um, frustration, um, fear for my own life. Um, I thought about my son immediately as well. Um, reminded me of having that, that ongoing conversation with him, uh, what it is to be a black man here in America, things that he needs to be aware of, things like that. So, um, so it was definitely fear. It was a reminder of awareness. Um, and there was some anger there as well. Definitely a lot of other brothers and sisters, black and brown brothers and sisters, are able to identify with. I think the other um, more popular reaction was um, just tired. There was, you know, they're just so tired that it's just like I can't even I can't even carry another emotion right now. 
Mm. Um, I'm just tired. And I, I, uh, I appreciate that when you first sent out the email and we were understanding and some of these events were unfolding, you know, there were no arrests at that point, which was, I mean, we can talk about that for a second. We'll, we'll get into that. But, um, it, as things unfolded, it just felt like, here we go again, you know, here's, here's the same proof that we live in a fallen world. Here's the same issues that we can't seem to get past. Here's the same, um, the same rhetoric, even the same people lining up on one side of the aisle, ready to, you know, throw a mouthful of cocktails. And then, and then what's also surprising is people are lining up on the other side of the aisle, ready to say things like, well, let's just wait until the facts come in. Right. And it's the same, the same, um, just stalemate that we've been at for the past. It seems like five, six, seven years as social media has really brought uh, brought about a lot of awareness to things that have been happening. This is not the first, um, time that these issues have presented themselves. This is a long standing um, systemic problem with our country. And so, um, I, I just want to say and go on record and say, brother, I'm sorry, um, just for the pain that, and the emotions that this is stirring up. I know that it hits me differently than it hits you. And, uh, uh maybe we just bring it home real fast. Uh, the thing you told me, uh, over the weekend was, you know, I, I don't remember if I have to censor my language or not. I don't think I do. But uh, you said, um, essentially, I'm really, really mad because it could have been me because I jog through white neighborhoods all the time. Have you gone for a run since then? Uh, I'll run, but I'm, I haven't been running outside. <laughs> I choose to run inside now. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, but I think that that's something that, um, you know, I have to be aware of. Um, I think as a black man, like no matter how many degrees you get, no matter how far up the ladder you climb, uh, you still have to be reminded that, you know, there's a narrative in in America on on black skin uh, where it's looked at as a as a weapon, as something to fear. And so for me, um, I have to, I have, I have to continue to remind myself of that. And so, um, I've, I've chosen for now not to run outside, um, but to run, to run inside. What has this brought out of you in terms of pain that maybe was underneath the surface that had laid dormant for a while? Have you thought about any other situations in life? Yeah. So it, it's brought up several things that I, I've experienced personally. Um, it reminded me of when I was, uh, you know, 14 years old and I went to uh, my, my friend's house who was about six years older than me. He was in uh, the youth church. He used to run the youth church. He was like a youth leader or whatever. And uh, so me and my friend went over to his house to try to go play basketball. Um, and he wasn't there. And this older white gentleman comes from across the street yelling at us saying what are you guys doing what are you what are you up to blase 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 and i mean this dude i mean like he was like legitimately like hot red mad 
Um, and he before wasn't, I he wasn't it, just like asking coolly, like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" He was no, he was like angry, and yeah. you know, I'm still young, and so I'm like at his mentality, like, "Who is this dude talking to me like this?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, I, you know, I start yelling back at him. Um, and before I know it, um, there's a you know a cop car out there, and um, the cops just like you know you guys got to go back home or whatever. I'm like, this this is this is a free country. I was like, I can't ride my bike. I can't go down the block. He's like, no, nah, y'all need to go back home or whatever. So, um, and 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 when we left, I'll never forget the guys like huffing and puffing and like staring at us and things like that. I'm just like. Man, I could I could have been killed that day. Hmm. And I was so young that I didn't know. Um, which is the other thing that frustrates me about some of these shootings is some of these kids are so young, right? And they may be doing, you know, typical teenager stuff. Um, not to say that, you know, their hands are completely clean, but it's just, you know, teenage stuff. Or um as a teenager, sometimes you, you know, you may be venturing around or something like that. And man, as a black dude, like you could end up dead. Hmm. Uh and then, you know, I get into it several times. I've been pulled over by police officers. And uh, one 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 incident that, that will always stick with me is when I got pulled over and the cops never asked me my name, my ID or anything. They reached into my car, picked up my book bag, asked me, um, are there drugs in here? And dropped it on my seat. Almost like trying to provoke me to do something. Hmm. Um because he like picked it up like with his hand and just like released it in mid air and it just hit my seat. And he's just like, you got drugs in here. And and I think that he wanted me to react so they can have a reason to, you know, to do something. But it's, you know, once again, you know, it's a reminder that dude, it doesn't matter if you're going to school and you got books in that book bag, you're a black dude. The assumption is that you got drugs in your book bag. Um, and so, and so, you know, you just get tired because it's, it's, it's almost like you're running a race and there's no finish line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like you, you're just like, where where's the finish line? Um, and it feels like there there is no finish line. There is no arriving. There is no, okay, we'll see you at, uh, we'll finally see you as not a threat um, or an animal or a, uh, someone who you know i gotta clutch my purse when i see dexter you know um and, and obviously some of those things go away if the white brothers and sisters that you know which is sometimes hard to explain like yeah because you know me um but we're talking about someone who doesn't know me and i'm being judged off the color of my skin uh, that that's still a real issue and uh, we have not arrived to where martin luther king has said that um, you know, I have a dream that my, you know, my, 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 my little girl and little boy would not be judged by the color of their skin, by the content of their character. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. One of the narratives that's coming out about Ahmad is that, um, well, I'll give you the, the hot takes that I heard. Um, one quote said he was no choir boy. Did you, did you see that quote? Uh, yeah. some, some folks from the community down there said, uh, well, if you knew him, he wasn't no choir boy. I yeah. think the implication to that is, um, you know, if 
if you knew this 25 year old man, his conduct was not necessarily becoming of someone who is trustworthy. Why is that one of the most idiotic things you could ever hear for this situation? I mean, I just want to hear it from you. I could give you my take on it, but what do you think of when you hear that? Yeah, to me, I'm just like, people who make those statements, I'm like, are you ignorant of yourself? Um, One of the things like I had posted on my Facebook wall was um, if, if having a perfect pass is a prerequisite um, to not be murdered, then why is there anyone left to post on Facebook? Um, Because the reality is, is that all of us deserve death in that case. None of us, you know, deserve to live. And I think that for for African-Americans, it is, and I can't speak for all black people, but. And I feel like it's it's important to say we're not asking you to speak for all black people. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we want justice um, at the yeah. end of the day. Um, and we want, you know, this thing to be investigated thoroughly and rightly. Um, and so the the dilemma that we feel that we're in, even when we cry out for justice, is because people haste to this conclusion when it comes to Black people that, man, he had to be a criminal. He had to do something because uh, he's black. That's mainly what comes out here. And then we're not sure that the justice system will serve rightly, whether he's guilty or not. Um, and so our, our uh, the dilemma that we are perpetually in is that we don't know if justice will ever be served. Uh, and there's a couple of breakdowns in this case that make that even more egregious. You have, first of all, two vigilante men who are um if there's nobility in it it is trying to care for their neighborhood if there's nobility in it i'm not entirely sure what that looked like for them the way that the video portrays and of course i'm going off of the written accounts of the video um i can't i can't imagine justice being served in anyone's mind thinking there's been a string of break-ins which is going to require loaded shotguns to take care of it that's not justice that is injustice for the district attorney to uh the new york times came out today with a report talking about why it took so long for um this case to really break open Uh, It's partly because the district attorney had recommended a um, uh, they they not be the two men not be arrested because under Georgia uh, law, they were both operating under a citizen's arrest. The moment in the testimony of these two men that Ahmad touched one of their rifles even though they were acting as aggressors, they became self-defendants and their actions were actions out of self-defense. That was the, that was the district attorney's argument for why they should not try and um, arrest 
or charge these two men. And then you get a video, a video comes out and it's like the, the video of all videos, which is completely contradictory to the theory of the, um, of the defense attorney or the district attorney. And the video shows very clearly that, uh, their testimony is false. They have a false narrative, which leads us into a couple of, uh, other, other issues. Yeah, I mean, when you look at what happened and you would think that uh, Ahmad's mom would have gotten what these other guys are getting and so that they get encouraged, they get protected um, by the system. Um, and on the other end, his mom, whose son has just been shot with a shotgun, laying dead in the street, gets none of that. Um, how can you arrive at a finish at any kind of finish line when when that kind of treatment is given to these guys who who roll up on this <laughs> this young black man and shoots him like this? Um, I mean, you, the only, the only thing that you can conclude at that point is just like, there's no hope. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, I, I don't know how you equip somebody for a run. I mean, how do I tell my mm -hmm. son, you know, don't do this while you're running or don't do this while you're out and about. Um, and, and, and even if one will take the path of, okay, this guy was, you know, doing something in the neighborhood, why not approach this young man as a father, which is part of the issue that I had, like, even when the guy in the neighborhood had came to me, even if I was up to something, although I was not, um, Unless, you know, and I didn't appear as a threat or I didn't have anything. Hey, young man, what are you doing? You know, um, because surely, like, um, you know, I got white friends and things like that. Like, I hear some of the stuff that their kids are doing, but they're not getting shot over um, or ending up dead by it. And so um, I think that, you know, just the position of the heart, and, and I'm talking about more from experience now, is that the police officer, the guy in the neighborhood, they approach me angry and mad at me for what? And then, you know, people wonder why these things escalate um, because you are tired in that moment. Um, and so after getting pulled over for like the fourth time, I'm sick and tired of being pulled over. And so now I'm trying to right. control my frustration while do what my father taught me is to be respectful. Uh, right. But I'm agitated, you know, uh, because yeah. I'm just like, I just can't win. I just, you know, and I'm the guy who's orchestrating the conversation between the young black man and the police officers, right? I'm, I'm the one who's right. trying to orchestrate 
and pull these things right. together. And then these young men are witnessing me being treated like this for no reason. And we keep getting set back. And I think that we have to begin to talk about uh, the, the attitude by which young black men are approached with when they encounter authority, um, not just, oh, they're running, oh, um, they, they shouldn't have been yelling at the cop, or they should be more respectful. And, um, and a lot of people think that if, if Black people would become more respectable, more, you know, more respectful, then these things won't happen. But I don't buy into respectability um, because all of that, you know, doesn't matter in the end. And this case proves the opposite. I mean, here's a here's a 25 year old man who went out for a run. Right. Respectability had nothing to do with it, and that's I think where uh, this this sad situation just highlights the complex nature of sin and sinfulness, um, fear that exists within our country, deep distrust and division, and ultimately. Um, prejudice and racism. And um, I, I want to bring this a little closer to home for us. Um, you know, we, we could, we could talk all day and there's maybe better podcasts that handle issues of systemic racism and um, you know, things like that. But, but you and I are both pastors. We both have uh, degrees in the Bible. Uh, you and I uh, both graduated from the same institution uh, down in Chicago and um, care deeply that people fall in love with God and his word. And, um, how, how do you think we ought to be helping our people, um, think about why these issues are important, why these cases, why these tragedies are not the type of thing that we can just ignore, put a hashtag on and then move on. Why, why is it important for us to stop and talk about them and to have conversations about them and to think deeply about them? Yeah. I think it, people are looking to the church um, in regards to the one place that justice should be upheld, adored, loved, and esteemed um, because of Christ. Christ is the reason why. Um, not so much because of the church, because we can go back and look at the church history and and the, the, the body of Christ is not, it's not perfect, but Jesus is the reason that people look to us to do right. And if we are going to have any, any credibility, both now and as people look back on the church, if we're going to have any credibility, it is in it is important that we as the church display through our actions that this gospel is actually real and that we actually believe it. And we evidence that by the way that we treat one another, the way that we react to certain injustices. To me, there is no way in the world, the sanctified mind, the renewed mind, the born again mind looks on some of these uh, tragedies and cannot be moved deeply with a righteous anger 
um, as you know, as as we look at our Savior, who is moved in his soul by the Pharisees who who they're mad at him because he doesn't uh, because he heals this man's hand on the Sabbath, and Jesus is is angry uh, because because of their their hearts towards him. And for me, I think that um, the church ought to be disturbed the most because we have been we, we have been made alive, right? We we our our vision, our view is being fixed continually to see the way that God sees things. Um, as First Corinthians thirteen says, love does not rejoice with wrongdoing. And so if we are maturing and maturing in Christ, it should be hard for us to sleep when injustice is 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 running rampant. Um, there, there there should be something that that moves us. And I would argue that the the, the tangible evidence that we've been made alive, the tangible evidence that Jesus is center, the tangible evidence that Jesus is our all in all is is by the way that we treat one another and in the way that we react to injustices and one of the one of the things that i believe the church should be doing is standing up and vocalizing um that that this is not right um this is not how god calls us to treat fellow image bearers and if we believe in the Imago Dei, um, that all people are created in the image of God, then we cannot rest until that is lived out, especially in the places in which we can reach, um, in our local neighborhoods and at our dinner tables and um, in our churches, um, to say, man, like, we're not going to tolerate the belittling or the uh, trampling on uh, image bearers. And unfortunately, uh, historically, the white church has not done well in that, um, which is. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second, um, because I think that's an important thing for us to grapple with. And I think the timing presented itself here with us in self-reflection upon Ahmad's death and some of the reaction to it and the ways that churches have responded or maybe not responded. Um, there's one train of thought that says this didn't happen in our neighborhood. This didn't happen in our part of the country. Why is this such a big deal to us? And I think the answer to that, and maybe you could even sharpen my, you know, what I would say the answer is, is because of what you said, wherever injustice exists anywhere, the people of God ought to rise up on behalf of the innocent and the victims to be able to uh, provide the righteousness that comes uh, through the kingdom of God. And so part of it for us is to say, uh, we are not just necessarily people who are interested in just getting to heaven when we die. We are the type of people who are interested in seeing our community um, and our nation and our world restored, put back to right with the God of all justice. And so um, I think that would be one way that we have to say, okay, this isn't just something we can ignore. Is that a fair 
Is that a fair uh, statement just on why it's important for us locally here, even though it happened in Georgia? Yeah, um, I love that line that you use, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Um, and it would almost be like, would we remain quiet if abortion was just in one city and not in other cities? I think that we will rise up and say something um, because those babies are, are voiceless and I think that we should. Or the other way of looking at it too is, you know, if we're watching something on TV or we hear something on the news um, about something that, you know, maybe happened to uh, a grandmother or, or, or older lady or something. We say, man, that could be my grandmother. We think about those who are closest to us that can identify with that victim. Um, and for me, you know, I say, you know, to my brothers and sisters, I'm like, that could have been me jogging, you know? And if justice is not served, if, if a case is not held, then my life becomes that much more in danger. Um, because, you know, if people feel like they can get off the hook with something, then someone else feels like they can do it. Um, and so I think that if we allow injustice to um, continue, seeing never just wants a little peace, seeing wants everything. And once those ideologies and those perceptions begin to be embedded in people's minds and hearts, it spreads very quickly. And so I think people must understand, you know, how ideologies and perceptions are planted in the hearts and minds of people that spreads. And I think as the church, what we want to say is we want to spread or sprinkle seeds of, man, we want justice. We want, we want, we want good for all people. That's what, that's what we want to push for. And we want to push against the kingdom of darkness um, in, in its agenda. I once heard a pastor say that the entire arc of Scripture bends towards justice. And he made that case saying in Genesis, you have sin in Adam and Eve's um, you know, rebellion against God's command. And justice required that a penalty was exacted in their being removed from the garden and death, death coming into the world. And then you see over the entire first, you know, covenant, uh, you get the Ten Commandments, and uh, it is a moral code that God has given, almost as a constitution for the Israelite people, to be able to do what is right. And you get this idea of righteousness, and God being a God of righteousness and justice and loving justice. And then you get the death of Christ on the cross as our righteousness. He becomes the righteousness and the justice that we deserve. And his justice, quite frankly, is what we need. We are sinful people who in our hearts are broken and wicked, and we need a Savior. And so God, being just and the justifier of many, puts his own self on the cross. And then you push that even further into uh, letters like Colossians, giving us a ministry out of that, out of that righteousness of reconciliation, that bringing us to God and bringing each other closer together and uh, saying that, you know, the thread of righteousness and justice is woven all throughout scriptures that if we have eyes to see it, we can't not see it. That if you pulled on the threads, I think this was the quote that I, I remember this, this person saying that if you pulled on the threads of, of justice and righteousness in revelation, you would hear all the pages of Genesis wrinkling at the same time because it's that tied together. And so when we talk about justice 
and righteousness. We're, this is not some sort of social justice. This is not some sort of um, uh, just new idea to have some sort of utopian society. This is rooted in our study of who God is. This is rooted in our understanding of what the church is. It's rooted in our understanding of what it means to be a human who lives in a context and in a world where we understand there is not a perfect system, but where there are injustices, Christians speak up. And that, that, that brings me to the really what I want to ask you about, because I think in the historic black church, the ability to become a commentator on social issues in the moment is, is almost a hallmark of you know, historic black preaching and uh, African-American churches. Not so much in the white church. I don't know if you've noticed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed the fact that um, many, many of my friends who are black preachers, who, who they'll call out uh, injustice that they see that week in the newspaper. And uh, most of my friends who are white preachers, man, they won't call out you know, this, they still won't call out issues from the 1800s. <laughs> like it's still too <laughs> soon for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that. We don't get political, but let me ask you this, Dexter, why is it important that pastors talk about what's happening in, in modern society? And why is it important for pastors to get political at some point? Yeah. Um, a, um, God has given pastors, um, power and influence. And I think that we want to be good stewards of that power and influence. Um, I would say that all of us as, you know, any good pastor, uh, we want to, we want to guide our sheep, we want to protect our sheep, we want to feed our sheep, and we want to give our sheep whatever is, is good for them. And when, when pastors don't speak on it, we leave sheep lost on how to Live, walk out their faith on a day-to-day -day basis because the reality is is that most of church life happens outside of the building which is the real world and so right. we have to interact with co-workers we have to interact with people uh, who are talking about these things um, and I believe that people are looking to us to inform uh, inform them on how does my faith apply to this? Like, how does life, death, burial, and resurrection apply to this? How does, how does Luke, John, you know, uh, Genesis, Exodus, how does any of this have to do with my right now? In good preaching, good exegetical preaching, um, it is not only uh, doing your homework, uh, your you know, your hermeneutics, and, and, and grabbing out the meaning of the text, but it's also bringing it home to where people are. Um, and so, yeah. and so part of, I think the job of the preacher is to help people understand how to, how to grapple with and how to live out um, their faith, particularly as we're talking today with injustice. Um, for me, uh, a pastor in Gary, Indiana, where, which is a predominantly black community. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't get the option to ignore this um, because if I don't preach it, that's what they're thinking about while they're sitting in the pew. And so I want to help them understand. I mean, clear example, right? COVID-19 yeah. hits 
every yep. podium in America is talking about COVID-19 illustrations, COVID-19, yep. how to live through it, how to get through it. It's the same thing with, with when injustice and things uh, um, like the black jogger, um, Ahmad, when things like this hit, we have to address these things the same way that we address COVID-19 for obvious reason. Um, cause, cause people are looking for the, from direction from the church. So let me ask you this and maybe I can play, you know, the, the, the basic white preacher. If that's not a Twitter category yet, I would love that to become one. Have you ever seen like basic white girl? Nope. It's like, uh, oh, okay. Well, it's a, it's a white subculture where we make fun of ourselves. Nope. <laughs> um, but if I'm basic white preacher, right. Yeah. Um, it can be uncomfortable to address social situations and social tragedies that are, um, you know, rooted in the black community that are perpetuated by people of the white community of, of white skin color. I'll say it that way because white people don't think there is a community of white people. Um, <laughs> but that's a topic for another day. Uh, as, as someone in the black community, how would you want a white, preacher white pastor to address the Ahmad situation especially given the light of our conversation here where you and I are both sorrowful and angry and um, distressed about how it went down how it was covered up and how it came to light um, how, how would you encourage a guy like me to shepherd my congregation in the middle of that yeah and you know I Dan, I think the first thing is acknowledging the situation that happened. Um, and I would say, preacher, say his name in your sermon um, and encourage uh, a sort of lamenting, a sort of mourning with those who mourn. Um, you know, let's just, let's just mourn with his mom. And then I think the second thing is, as we need to ask why does these things happen to black and brown brothers and sisters um, so that we can really begin to grapple with white supremacy. Um, and I know that's a, that, that's a hot word, white supremacy. Um, and a lot of, you know, at least white brothers and sisters I've interacted with take, take offense to that um, as they feel like it's an indictment on all white people. And it's, and it's not really. It's, it's dealing with the thought of, in America, since America's been established, white skin has been valued over black skin. Um, and I think as a white preacher um, who, who, who believes the gospel, you should have an issue with that. Um, and, not just, and not just in talk, but in action, which means that we need to govern our church in such a way that we come against that kind of thinking in our culture so that those who sit in our pews not only just regurgitate the definition of Imago Dei, uh, but see ways in which we as a country fell at it and as a church that we fell in it. Because I think for a white church, it's not just acknowledging Imago, but it's also dealing with the ideologies and the thought processes that perpetuate things like that, that 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 allow black bodies to uh, be killed and not thought of, that allows more abortion clinics to be in minority communities than any other communities, 
thought processes that um, allow this racial disparity between uh, white women and black women in, in regards to giving birth and the rate in which they die. Uh, thought processes yeah. and ideologies that um, allow um, COVID-19 to be more deadly in black and brown communities than any other community. Thought processes and ideologies that allow bad water to um, be in Flint um, and nothing to be done about it. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, for white churches, this is a chance to say, man, like there's image bearers who are, who are dying, who are less fortunate, who has less access to things because of this ideology of white supremacy. And at the end of the day, what we want, or, or at least we should want, is the supremacy of Christ in all things. Because it is not until Christ is at the center of all things that you get justice, that you get peace, that you get reconciliation, that you get harmony. Um, it's with Christ being in the center. We just can't say Christ is in the center without dealing with the things that are trying to take his place in our churches. And I think that um, if, white, if white churches would, would mourn, lament, and address white supremacy, um, I think that we can begin to move forward um, as a church. Dex, we've covered a lot of ground here. And um, I, uh, man, I, I think you've helped us think through some of these considerations, particularly the sad case of, um, you know, the, the murder of uh, Ahmad Arbery. And um, I want to thank you for your friendship and for your patience uh, with, I know, me. Uh, someone who's trying to understand the social dynamics between uh, different communities and trying to process through the world that we live in. I uh, really appreciate your insight, your commitment to the gospel, and uh, your love for God's people, man. Thanks for listening to the Church is Now Online podcast. For more resources from Bethel Church, head to BethelWeb.org, where you can stream services, give online, and find ways to impact our community. To connect with the HP campus, the best way to do that is on Facebook. Join our group by searching Bethel Church-Hobert Portage. If you enjoyed this content and want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you found this content. And it helps us if you rate and review. It just makes it easier for others to find us online. Church is Now Online is produced by the team at Bethel Hobert Portage. Christina Soderquist, Daniel Asher, Scott Irwin, and myself, Dan Jacobson. Thanks for listening to this episode. Until next time, this podcast is to be continued.